0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Two Point Podcast where our conversion rate is always 100%. I'm Craig and I'm joined by Nate. How are we doing today guys? And we are going to be talking about the wild card weekend that just happened. So we're going to be going through all six games, kind of talking about what happened, what stood out to us, how it kind of compares to what we thought might happen. The first game is the Colts and the Bills. The Bills ended up winning 27-24. to 24. This game actually probably is a little bit closer than it looked like. Uh, Buffalo controlled the game overall. The Colts, you know, they kind of just nicked away at the end there. But uh, Josh Allen was very good once again. Gabriel Davis made some very impressive toe-tap catches in this game. He only had four catches, but I believe 80-some yards. A couple impressive ones along the sidelines. The bad news for the Bills' defense is they had zero sacks, so they allowed uh, Phillip Rivers pretty much all day to throw. And then the rookie out of Utah, Zach Moss, he ended up getting hurt in this game. He's got an ankle injury, and they fear that he could miss the rest of the postseason because of it. You know, it's sad to hear for him, but it should open up some more opportunity for Devin Singletary. On the Colts' side, you know, Philip Rivers, he's okay in this game, pretty efficient, kind of took what was given to him. He had a couple throws here and there that were way off target, though, especially anything past 10 yards. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr., Jack Doyle, they both have very good days on offense. But, you know, the Colts kind of just played their game. They were pretty efficient, but they just weren't good enough to win, essentially.
1: Yeah, pretty much. The Colts just did what they've been doing all year. Against good teams, they always either lose just barely or they win in overtime or win at the last second. So. Um, the Colts, you know, hats off of them to them for having a good year. I thought they did okay yesterday. You know, obviously Taylor had a decent game. He had 21 touches. He had had the touchdown, kind of helped support Philip Rivers, and what is obviously going to potentially be the last game for him. Pretty decent career for the most part. He still threw for 309 yards with the two touchdowns. So, I mean, the defense did what they could. They got a couple sacks on on Allen, and they obviously kind of got they got the six quarterback hits as well. But for the most part, the Bills are obviously with the better team coming in yesterday, and they played like such. It's gonna be interesting to see how Singletary will being able to shoulder this load potentially for the remainder of the postseason. How that's gonna affect uh, this offense a bit. But I mean, with Josh Allen at quarterback, you can't you can't argue with his game, the way he's been playing this season, that the step up that he's taken. I mean, he had one minor like little studfest where he had that fumble uh, towards the end there, but other than that, like he had a lights out game. He you know led this offense to pretty much did what they were supposed to do, and that defense did exactly what they needed to do to help support it and obviously finish off the win. It was actually one of the better games this weekend.
0: Yes, sir. Like you said, it could be Philip Rivers' last game. We don't really have any indication whether or not he's going to retire or not. Yeah. It, the way it sounds from him is he's considering both sides of the argument there, essentially, and then Frank Wright said he would like to have him back if he wants to come back. So the door is definitely open there.
1: Philip Rivers in this offense, he actually didn't do too bad. It would be interesting to see how he would obviously use his veteran ability to maybe expand his game going into next year. But throughout the season, we we both have been kind of paying attention to him and how he's uh, played in this offense. And, you know, he's had over 200 yards passing the majority of the games. There's a few games where you'll have, obviously, the red lines with the, with the interceptions. But for the most part, he's done a really good job just kind of being a game manager, which is... A different role than he played in san diego obviously for the majority of his career so whatever he decides to do he's got you know those nine kids back home waiting for him and if he decides to come back and play another season like i said it'd be interesting to see uh how he does in indy
0: yeah i think he ends up retiring though you know like we, like you just said nine kids at home the oldest one's 18 so you're going to start seeing some of them older kids leave the house pretty soon so i think family's going to be a bigger deal you know and they did buy that house in Florida last season, and pretty much they all moved there. So,
1: I was going to say the only reason why I could see him wanting to come back is if there somehow is a guaranteed ring in the conversation, which AFC, I mean, you got to go through Kansas City pretty much for the next several years, so it's not, it's going to be an up, uphill battle for him. But, I mean, either way, if he if he had a chance to get a ring and they did some stuff in the offseason to either get him some weapons or even solidify uh, that defense that's obviously had a really stellar season, I could see it being an argument, but you're right. The could be 18. If I was in his shoes after this type of career, I'd go home and spend it with the other eight and at least enjoy what's left of their time at home.
0: Yep. And another big thing for the Colts, too, is Anthony Costanza, left tackle. He's been kind of banged up towards the end of this year. I believe he's a free agent, so he probably won't come back, but he's likely to retire anyway, so that's going to be a big hole to fill as well. So, you know, not having that left tackle, especially when you're an older quarterback, that could make a little bit of a difference as well.
1: Yeah, It's going to be interesting. The Colts have a really good foundation have a really good year next year.
0: So the next game that we have is the Los Angeles Rams and the Seattle Seahawks. The Rams went into Seattle, and they came out with the win, 30-20. to So this is probably one of the bigger shockers of the week. The Rams defense, they played very well once again. John Wolford started at quarterback. He actually ended up getting hurt in this game. He's got a stinger. Or a neck injury as well. He actually went to the hospital but then came back at the end of the game to celebrate with his teammates. Let's we'll see if he's unable to go next week. But golf came in, you know, he played decent in this one. He made the throws that he needed to make when he needed to make them. Hats off to him coming back. You know, he had that thumb surgery, but it looks like he'll probably be the starter next week. Wolford probably be questionable to play. That offensive line for the Rams, they literally dominated the line of scrimmage against Seattle. I know they got Andrew Whitworth back in this one. They did a great job opening lanes for both of their running backs, whether it was Cam Akers or Malcolm Brown. You know, Cam Akers he had a solid game. He got what was there for him. He did have a nice uh, catch and run where uh, Jared Goff just kind of dumped it off to him. and Then he got about you know 40 yards or so on it. So hats off to him for that. You know, he had one good uh, touchdown run as well. Then We got Aaron Donald. He left the game kind of with torn rib cartilage. He's expected to play against Green Bay, which just kind of shows you how tough of a guy that he is. Cam Makers had a similar injury earlier this year, and he missed two or three weeks. Uh, Cooper Cuff left the game. He's got a knee injury, knee bursitis. I expect he does end up playing this week as well. Seattle, the biggest thing for them, they had two turnovers. They lost the turnover battle. They allowed five sacks. D.K. Metcalf dropped the ball two or three times, and the Rams took away Tyler Lockett. So they got after Russell Wilson. They took away, you know, his comfort option in Tyler Lockett, the guy that he likes to throw to when he's under duress, under trouble. And that's really the reason they won the game. I mean, their their running game was decent, nothing special there. But taking away that part of the offense was really rough. And then Seattle's defense, they just couldn't keep up. Like I said, they lost the line of scrimmage, and that really was the difference in the game.
1: Yeah, just like you said, when I in the preview going into this week, I said it was going to come down to the defenses. Uh, obviously, with the we did at the time we didn't even know who was going to be starting at quarterback for the Rams going in. So, I felt if the Seahawks defense could have the opportunity to get at whoever was at quarterback, they would put obviously their team in a better chance to win. And unfortunately, like you said, they did, They just couldn't do that. They only had three sacks, seven quarterback hits. That offense looked uh, like they were uncomfortable for the most part. Wilson, he did not have a good game for the most part like you said, they took away Lockett, and obviously that that really frustrated Metcalf. The pick six that Wilson had previously in, going into that possession, you know, D.K. Metcalf was just furious on the sidelines. Ball wasn't going his way when he was open. They were just being inefficient. They couldn't move the ball. D.K. obviously was just trying to motivate his team in that conversation, but the next play that they threw to him ended up, you know, being a good play by Williams that Rams defense and was ran back to the house, so. To me, the storyline was that defensive side of the, gu- the ball for the Rams. They did a fantastic job uh, just keeping that offense just out of rhythm. Five sacks, 10 QB Hicks, obviously, we, like I just said, that pick six. Hats off to them for helping put this offense in a chance to win. Obviously, they, they were more prepared to have Wolford running this offense, and I felt like they had committed to that when the first three plays, you know, were run stakers. So I felt like they were going to go into this game wanting to try and keep Wilson on the sidelines so that he couldn't get any rhythm. Obviously with getting that stinger goth coming in he did a decent job uh, Like you said for the most part like being efficient in the offense, but to me I felt like he was supposed to rest this week So some of the passes like I think it was like three or four of them were kind of overthrown They were obviously earlier when he came in he got a little bit more comfortable. He made some clutch passes Honestly, this was a really decent game. I don't think anyone really kind of saw the outcome being this way obviously Seahawks were, were the better team coming in so um, I know the Seahawks this off season; they're going to be having some positions they're going to have to obviously try and fill. I think there's some uh, contract situations as well. It's going to be interesting to see how these teams are obviously going to change going into the off season.
0: Yes, for sure. And like I said, at the end of the day, it really just came down to that line of scrimmage. The Rams were able to dominate on offense and on defense. So, you know, battles are won in the trenches especially.
1: Yep, that's my favorite part of the game to watch. Obviously, everyone watches the flashy players, but those games where it comes down to, you know, these these nitty-gritties or even within, like, a possession or a possession and a half, those games are won in the trenches. It depends on how the defensive line plays uh, on either side of the ball, honestly, and whether the offensive line can obviously maintain that pressure.
0: Yep, and like you said, we didn't even know who was going to start at quarterback. Nobody really knew mm-hmm. until about 20 minutes before the game. That's, like, when they said Wolfer, Wolfer was going to start. Supposedly McVeigh told the players on Wednesday who was starting, but who knows if that's true or not. But our next game was the night game on Saturday, and that was Tampa Bay and Washington. This one turned out to be a thriller. Tampa Bay ended up winning 31 to 23. Tom Brady was solid once again. Leonard Fournette got most of the running attempts in this game. Ronald Jones apparently reaggravated his quad in warmups, so he was not playing at all. Which, if you guys played him in DFS like myself, it pretty much tanked you. Then yep. Mike Evans, he was really, really good once again. You know, he's playing on a bum knee and he is still looking great out there. Antonio Brown, you know, he got the touchdown. He's doing Antonio Brown things every time he touches the ball, he's got to throw a dance party. But that's all another story. It's <laughs> like, just shut up and play football. Nobody cares about you.
1: It's true. Should be his focus considering his, uh, you know, off the field issues. But
0: yeah, we'll see how his lawsuit ends up here pretty shortly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Then on Washington side of the football, we had Tyler Heineke. This man played awesome. This game was
1: amazing because of him.
0: Yeah, I mean he he had one interception, but it was a tipped ball, so we can't really blame him there. He had that insane run. He was looking out there, looking like Deshaun Watson. Ducking under a defender, taking off, diving for the goal line. He made a lot of great throws in this game. He really lifted this Washington team and made this a game. Uh, Antonio Gibson, he was pretty limited. Washington defense, they only had three sacks in this one. Two of them were by my boy Deron Payne. He also had a forced fumble as well. But Washington's defense, they just weren't quite the same in this one. They really couldn't cover the Tampa Bay wide receivers to save their lives either. So
1: that's true for me like going into this game everyone remembers they said the bucks are going to win this game just because they are the better team But i was going to be cheering for washington just because all season long they've had heart they've had courage they've just kind of banked on themselves they've leaned on each other and they put themselves in a good situation to win and in the last eight weeks of the game going into going even going into the playoffs like the record doesn't show the effort that's left on the field and they just had the heart to upset tampa bay this week and And Heineke was, like, the poster child of that effort. Like, coming in and just being able to officially run this offense, like you said, even Gibson didn't have that great of a game. 14 touches, he only had 31 yards. He helped move this offense. Sims had an outstanding game. McLaurin, you know, obviously had six catches for 75 yards. Um, Logan Thomas was five for 74. Heineke made this game exciting to watch. Like, on third down, they would get the the inevitable, like, on, like, you know, third and 15. Like, he did everything he possibly could to keep them in a chance to win. So much, in fact, that even when he was having that issue with the shoulder, you know, he obviously went back to the medical tent really cat and came back out and, you know, wanted to keep swinging. And he put this team in a much better situation than I thought that they were going to have going into this week. So hats off to that organization. I'm excited to see what's going to be coming out of them next year. But, you know, Tampa Bay, they're going to have to focus on their next week. And, you know, New Orleans is not a team that you want to overlook. Uh, on the offensive side of the ball, they're rather efficient. The defenses both line up really well against these offenses, so I'm really excited to see what Tampa is going to be in the table next
0: week. Yep. It's a great story for Taylor Heineke. You know, this is his second career start. This was a guy that he was sitting on the couch six weeks ago, you know, taking some classes for his master's degree, so great to see somebody like that go out (laughs) and have some success, and needless to say, he's going to have an NFL job next season. Yeah,
1: we were, I was even texting you that during the game, you know, it's like, how was this guy, how was he not on a team this year? Like, seeing how he played, obviously, playoffs are a different conversation. You can kind of leave it all on the table. That's essentially just do your game, take the shots, take the risks, because, you know, that might be the one play that might be the determining factor in that game. It was a fantastic game to watch on, on Saturday night.
0: Yep. Yeah. Uh, but we'll move over to the next one. That was the Baltimore Ravens and Tennessee Titans. This was my game of the week pick going into the week. Uh it kind of didn't live up quite all the way to that Tennessee got ahead early, ten nothing Baltimore ended up winning twenty to thirteen. Tennessee just fell apart honestly. Baltimore's running game they were really efficient in this one once again, their defense stepped up, and they stopped Derrick Henry. Hollywood Brown looked awesome in this game. He was over a hundred yards receiving. They couldn't cover him to save their life. Then on Tennessee side, you know, like I said, Derrick Henry, he's limited. They took him away. That defense, they came out swinging. You know, they had four sacks early on. Three of them were kind of Lamar Jackson's fault. One was another great play by Brooks Reed, but they got about halfway through that second quarter, and their defense just went back to being the same old Tennessee defense we've seen throughout the season. A.J. Brown was a beast once again. You know, he's going against Marlon Humphrey, who is arguably the best corner in the NFL, and he was still having success against him. So he's going to be one of the best wide receivers, if not the best wide receiver, in the next couple of years in the NFL. And then you can obviously talk about Vrabel punting the ball from, like, the 40-yard line when fourth and two in the fourth quarter. But, you know, Vrabel's going to Vrabel. He doesn't make sense at the time. Like, he's a decent (laughs) coach, but he makes a lot of questionable decisions in game management. For sure, for
1: sure. Unfortunately, I didn't get to watch this game. I had a prearranged meeting I had to obviously take care of, but obviously going back and looking at the highlights, 100% exactly what you just said was correct. I was actually impressed at the first half how Tennessee's defense actually decided to show up. I thought it was impressive how they just were efficient, you know, obviously with protecting the pass deep and then, you know, being being good against the run. But obviously I think Jackson was just, his ability to run, run the ball, is just something that, you know, other teams don't have. When he's on, he can be on in that run game. And he was yesterday for 136 yards. I mean, he almost outrushed his actual pass yards uh, yesterday. So, I mean, Edwards, Dobbins, they did what they did to help, obviously, support that. But for the most part, I agree with you. I feel like that Tennessee uh, defense, they just, they're just they just inefficient in the second half. And uh, when you're being able to stop Derrick Henry and put the game into Tannehill's arms, it's just, uh, you know, we really had 165 yards, and won, obviously had the touchdown and interception. But to me, I just felt like the Titans were out, man, in the second half of this game, which is kind of funny considering the Ravens haven't been that way all season long.
0: Yep, yeah. and at halftime I think it was 10 to 10 too. So it's because they weren't losing at halftime. When they're losing at halftime with Lamar Jackson, they always lose.
1: Yeah, obviously this—I think this was his first uh, postseason win. So correct. I mean. Next week they're going to have their hands full for sure, so enjoy the win. but anyway, I think, it, like you said, I feel like the Tennessee Titans just lost this game, so the Ravens got away with a steal this week. But I picked them going in this week because I felt like they were the better team just because I would say maybe three games where Tennessee's defense was mediocre at best all season long. And if you put them in a big-game situation, I felt like the Ravens' run defense was rather efficient, and if they could stop Derrick Henry, they would have a really good chance and they ended up doing
0: that, so. And some people will say, "Oh, Tannehill lost him in the game because he threw an interception." Well, he threw the ball to Cleef Raymond and he fell down. That's why he got picked off. Like Raymond just fell down as the ball was coming in. So mm-hmm. AJ Brown was open on the other side, so they probably should have hit him. But that's another story. But when your wide receiver throws See, down after you, falls down after you throw the ball, there's not too much you can do about it.
1: Yep, that's one of the reasons why we like this game so much is because sometimes it's like, you know, a game of inches. Or it's, you know, one play. Yep. So, always what ifs.
0: But we'll get moved over to the next game, and that was the Chicago Bears and New Orleans Saints. Saints ended up winning 21-9. game wasn't even that close, but that's a whole other story. This game was actually presented on Nickelodeon as well as CBS. I watched Nickelodeon one. It was actually kind of cool to see. You know, they had some of the actors from Nickelodeon shows kind of involved as well with the commentary they really tried to explain the game for a younger audience as well just kind of broke it down and it was kind of nice to see you know especially with nate burleson in that role they actually probably did a better job than most of the regular commentators for the other games this week it's kind of sad that jim nance and tony romo got stuck on the other end of that game because you could have their talent in one of the other games that the commentators weren't as good but that's all another story don't want to get too much right. into the politics of that. But I was
1: gonna say instead of Joe Buck or Troy
0: Aikman. <laughs> oh, some of these other ones even. They were like, oh, that was intentional grounding, but but it was literally roughing the passer. It's like just just know just have some idea of what's going on. Right. For for the casual fan at home at least. But that's a whole nother story. We ain't gonna go there. The Saints, they were efficient on offense. The first couple drives they were a little bit slow, but they got better throughout the game. Deontay Harris, who's actually like the kick and punt returner for the Saints, they played him a lot in the slot this game. And the Bears can't cover slot wide receivers to save their life, anyways. But every time he got the ball, the Bears didn't. Know. The Bears was like, what do we do?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But the Saints' defense—they were pretty solid once again. You know, they only gave up one touchdown, and that was on literally on the last play of the game, where Jimmy Graham. Catches it with one hand, literally gets the touchdown, walks into the Ooh. tunnel, he's like, I'm out. Deuces. That might have been the last catch of Jimmy Graham's career, and if that is, that's a hell of a way to go out.
1: I was going to say, it's just like he exited from the NFL. Uh, so convenient. Does that makes sense? He's like, just like, all right, and deuces, I'm out.
0: I got my a 100 career. touchdown grab, and peace.
1: <laughs> Jimmy Graham's obviously been a... A fantastic tight end for a lot of teams. Obviously, against ironically the New Orleans Saints. Obviously, he had a pretty decent time when he was up in Seattle. He was pretty efficient. I don't want to say he was great in Green Bay, but he was efficient. But he's been someone that the Bears' offense has kind of leaned on throughout the season, off and on. So, if this is his last game, you know it's been fantastic watching him.
0: Yep. With that being said, he's still under contract for next year. But but if he retires, they save ten million. If they cut him. They saved $7 million, so kind of writing on the wall there. But on the Bears' side, Matt Nagy, he just needs to be fired. I'm not sure if this is true or not, but I heard that Matt Nagy was doing the play calling again in this game, and their offense was terrible once again. So it wouldn't surprise me if he was actually doing the play calling. That's why you do not hire an offensive coordinator who's never called plays to be your head coach and call plays. Sounds like a terrible idea. But hopefully some other teams learn from this. The Bears are a mess in this situation between him, Ryan Pace, Mitchell Trubisky. We could spend a whole 30 minutes talking about that if we really wanted to. But, you know, Allen Robinson, David Montgomery, they were limited in this game. Obviously, the Saints are great against the run. Marshawn Lattimore, he really limited Allen Robinson in this game. The Bears had a chance at points here. Anthony Miller ended up getting ejected. Supposedly, they say he punched C.J. Gardner-Johnson. But it was more of a forceful shove after Johnson was being a dick once again. But, you know, apparently that man's just got a punchable face because three times the charm. We do have one good thing to say about Mitchell Trubisky. He won the N-V-P. Not M. N. Which is the Nickelodeon (laughs) Valuable Player. Which was literally just an online voting contest. And I believe he ended up getting 49% of the votes, so... Apparently the young kids don't like Drew Brees because he's old, but who knows? It's funny. Yeah. I'm gonna uh, be honest,
1: I'm kind of jealous. You got to watch it on the Nickelodeon channel. <clears throat> I didn't have access to it, so I went on later to see some of the highlights from them. And like having the slime cannons after touchdowns, that was just freaking sweet. Like I could only imagine like actually being able to watch that game. So.
0: Yeah, and that was and, all. That was all virtual too. So.
1: Yeah, it's fantastic. Like. I had, I had the Romo side, which obviously, Nance and Romo, they're fantastic announcers as they are. And I obviously enjoy the analytics and how they, they look at the game. And having Romo, uh, obviously, up in the box, he he, he has the ability to already know what kind of what plays are doing just because of his career. So this game went exactly like we thought it was going to be. I feel like the Saints should have won by a larger margin, but they were efficient on the offensive side of the ball. Kamara did what he normally does, almost had 100 yards rushing. Um, obviously, they did their sets with Hill, so... He was semi-efficient in the pass game for the times that I think he only had like two missed passes for sure. You know, he had that fumble that was obviously a mark against him as well. Breeze obviously had one as well, but they're going to need to clean it up going into next week. So uh, obviously Tampa Bay, they're pretty, uh, they obviously understand this matchup very well uh, because obviously they play multiple times throughout the season. So obviously the Saints did what they need to do. Bears were a team that they're going to have an interesting offseason. You and I are not high on Nagy by any means. They have some decent building blocks. Montgomery, Robinson, you know, the the defense has been, been yeah. efficient. Like, being a Packers fan, seeing them twice a year is, is something I'm always worried about because they just understand the matchups very well. And they have the ability to be there, but they just, you know, on the offensive side of the ball with Trubisky, they just have those issues sometimes moving the ball. So they have a mess down there on the offensive side of the ball. Obviously in front office, I agree with you. So.
0: I'll say a couple things, though. Like what you said, you know, their offense has problems. The only building Brock they have going into next year is Dave Montgomery. Trubisky's a free agent. Allen Robinson's a free agent. I don't think they're going to sign Robinson back. They don't have the money to do it. Uh, Trubisky, apparently, after the game, he said, Peace out. Like, he doesn't want to come back. So that eliminates that possibility there. They still got Nick Foles. He signed under contract. So they got him. They'll probably draft somebody. They might bring somebody else in. It'll be real interesting to see what they do, but it'll be real interesting to see if they retain Matt Nagy as head coach. I assume that ownership will meet sometime early this week to discuss the the future going forward with this team, you know, in regards to Matt Matt Nagy, Ryan Pace in general. I think both those guys need to just be gone, clear house, just kind of go from there, bring in somebody else that can – adequately put it together, a real roster instead of Ryan Pace, and then somebody that actually provides value to the team as a head coach. So what did you I say? Agree with you. If
1: they bring in new coaching staff, they have really good building blocks there. Like the defense is pretty much decent. They just had no support against that. And like you said, just having Montgomery. This would be a decent time to bring in a new, uh, a new coaching staff and just kind of solidify that offense a little bit, you know, give them better chances to win.
0: Yeah, and it's just so hard to know what they'll do, too, because they're a team that's very cash-strapped, too, as well. Obviously, you're going to save a little bit of money with the Jimmy Graham situation. Buster Screen's going to get cut for probably a $2.8 million savings. Kind of looked into this talking to one of my buddies earlier today that's a Bears fan. So just looking at the guys that could potentially be cut. There's two other big names that they could save a lot of money on. That's Kendall Fuller, the corner. He's a Pro Bowler. I know Bears fans won't like to hear it, but if they got rid of him, they'd save $11 million. So we'll see if that happens. And then the other big one is Akeem Hicks. They'd save $10.5 million if they cut him. But those are two names of two guys that have obviously been Pro Bowlers in the past that would be hard to move on from. But sometimes when you're cash strapped, you have to make decisions.
1: Yeah, and usually in those types of situations, they try to see if they can get a trade out of it or something. You know, get a draft pick to help obviously fill that spot for a cheaper value with equal talent or a potential ceiling of talent. But you're right, that's really difficult when you put in those situations. Obviously, there's a few teams like that in the league this year that's going to have a lot of hard decisions coming up in the next, uh, obviously, four to six weeks. So, um, unfortunately, the Bears' names happen to be on that team.
0: Yeah, and there's going to be even more teams this year than in recent years just because the salary cap isn't going up for, like, the first time in 10 million years, it seems like especially when you're projecting it and then you build contracts based on that. So you're going to see a lot of guys that are going to be cap casualties this offseason. You're going to see a lot of guys that renegotiate some of their contracts so they can stay on the team or have a guaranteed contract essentially. Even a lot of these free agents that you see this year, the lot of them might end up taking one year deals or end up with backloaded contracts just because of the salary cap for this season. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see a lot of big name guys take one year deals, whether it's Allen Robinson Kenny Galladay, Chris Godwin, any Juju Smith-Schuster, any of those guys, they could take a one-year deal, and then, you know, next year when salary Cap goes back up, then you get the big money.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm actually really excited about this offseason. Even in Green Bay, we have our own nightmares there. So it's I'm, I'm excited to see how my team's going to adapt, so I can only imagine how the other 31 team's fan bases are obviously excited to see how they're going to rebuild and and commit to you know pieces for one year, maybe even longer for some of them, you know, for those veteran players.
0: Yep, uh, but we'll get moved over to that next game, and that was the game from last night. And this one was quite the interesting game. I was like, this was
1: actually a really fun game.
0: The Cleveland Browns ended up winning 48-37 to against the Pittsburgh Steelers. This was honestly a shocker. A lot of people didn't see this one coming especially since these two teams played a week ago and the Browns almost lost to Mason Rudolph. But there's something to be said. This happens a lot of times in the NFL. You play the team week 17, you let the other team win, and then in the playoffs, they usually come back and beat you. I don't know off the top of my head how many times this has happened, but at least in our lifetime, I know of two other situations where this has happened, so, you know... It kind of backfires more times than not, it seems like. Yep.
1: Like, for me, this game was fantastic. Like, I actually thoroughly enjoyed watching this game. I picked the Steelers to win, but I I was very adamant that the Browns could potentially do it. And, honestly, all the magic happened on the defensive side of the ball. The Steelers, they had zero sacks, zero QB hits, zero interceptions. They kind of weren't, you know, obviously in the face of, of Baker Mayfield when they were on the field, but... The difference was that Cleveland Browns defense. Uh, obviously, they had four quarterback hits. Ze- they had zero sacks play those four, um, four interceptions. They had the fumble recovery in the end zone for the touchdown, literally to start the game off. So, man, they came out ready to play against this Steelers offense. And so, obviously, Big Ben, if you take away, away those four interceptions, he had an insane game. Throwing 68 passes for 501 yards, that's ridiculous. But obviously, they were in a situation where they were down – down early. I think it was twenty eight to nothing at the first half. So when you're in that type of first situation quarter. you wouldn't What's that? It
0: was twenty eight to nothing after the first quarter.
1: Yes, exactly. Like that's crazy. That's insane. That defense put them in a chance to win, but they were gimmies at that point. You know, they were getting the ball, you know, on the other side. Hats off to that defense of Cleveland, man, because obviously those streets last night had to have been buzzing.
0: Yeah, and it was a real interesting game. I mean it's hard when you you literally lost the momentum right away as soon as you snapped the ball over the guy's head. And that's a Pro Bowl center mm-hmm. that snapped mm-hmm. the ball over Big Ben's head. Like, it's just insane when you think about it.
1: I was going to say, he did it two other times in the game as well. Like, I don't know what was going on with Pouncy, but those three snaps, that they were they were definitely hindrances for him.
0: Yeah, and he's missed quite a bit of time this year too, so. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it is, but, you know... Hats off to Cleveland's defense for taking advantage of the opportunities that were there for them. The one interception really wasn't Big Ben's fault. That pass got tipped at the line of scrimmage, so he played well enough once you take out all the turnovers. Obviously, you can't just say it that way, but you know he had a solid game throwing the football for the most part. You know There was a couple of passes that got sailed and turned into interceptions, but... But, you know, the Browns, they were really efficient on offense. Baker Mayfield played this game like Ben Roethlisberger has been playing. You know, just quick passes, getting the passes out in 2.2 seconds. Then you had Nick Chubb. He looked efficient in this game. Kareem Hunt, you know, running two guys over into the end zone. He was real good. Jarvis Landry, they had no answer for Jarvis Landry. For whatever reason, they kept trying to put a linebacker on him to cover him, which is a terrible idea, but I guess... You know, putting Steven Nelson on him didn't help either. But the Steelers' defense, at the end of the day, did not show up in this freaking game. Like, this is the worst performance we've seen out of a Steelers' defense in probably like five years.
1: Honestly, everyone outside of Big Ben on that offense was just was rough. To be honest with you, I mean, Juju had a Juju game. Johnson did a really good job. Obviously, had eleven catches as well. Uh, Ebron had his seven for sixty-two, and obviously that really nice touchdown there. But. Playful had two touchdowns. Like they were all efficient, but it's because you know Ben Ben threw for 501 yards. But yeah, you have to take the hats off to, to obviously Baker Mayfield as well. Like you said, he was he was efficient. He had a good game. He had a Ben Roethlisberger game for the most part. So when they had the opportunity to to kind of score and put themselves in a situation to win, they actually took advantage of that opportunity. Leaned on that run game. Those two running backs, like they've been doing the whole season. Like I said, Hunt was actually he was rather efficient. I was even texting you well on some of the runs that he had. So. Either way, I, I honestly really enjoyed watching this game. It was kind of odd seeing all the turnovers from the Steelers because if you look at the other losses this year, it wasn't really an efficiency issue as of turnovers. It was more or less like drives running because of the inability to catch the ball or, or the run game not being able to develop, you know. And obviously the health issues, of the defense going into the stretch there as well. So, I mean, it was just a really weird game. Like it just unfortunately happened to be you know in the wild card weekend.
0: Yeah. And it's kinda of like that game they played against Washington. They had a lot of turnovers in that game too. They were just weren't like efficient on offense. But I will say like, like you said with the receivers, you kinda of said they didn't have as good a day, but they actually played pretty well. There is only a couple drops, you know. We've been ragging on these guys for dropping the ball, but Juju had one, Ebron had one. There might have been one or two other ones during the game, but they honestly they caught the ball pretty well. James Washington especially too, you know, he only had like four catches, but I think he had like seventy yards. Then there's all these people on social media. They're like, "Oh, fire, fire, uh, Mike Tomlin, fire Mike Tomlin!" I'm like, "Shut up, like, shut up, (laughs)
1: like." Mike Tomlin's like one of the most underrated coaches in the NFL. Like when you think about efficient um, coaches in the NFL, he might be one of the top five that you say. Maybe uh, from an average NFL consumer that watches this product, he's so underrated look what he did last year with him you know what i mean like mason rudolph as, as a coach like, yeah look at how this defense has been solidified over the last few seasons with just quality draft picks and the ability to just be smash mouth football like, i love it man Tomlin needs a, he deserves a lot of the credit for this team culture yeah. everything
0: like i understand where they're coming from because a lot of times they make the playoffs and they lose like real early too and you know they haven't done much since they won the super bowl and whatnot it's kind of like the situation, like you as a Packers fan, kind of had with Mike McCarthy. Obviously, Tomlin's a better coach than McCarthy, but from a just trying to see it from a Steelers fan perspective, that's how mm-hmm. they that's how they see it, you know.
1: Yeah, I was out to you know obviously get McCarthy's head for almost twelve seasons. So the year that they win, that we did win the Super Bowl in Green Bay, it wasn't because of him. So I mean, yeah, no, I get it, man. I can understand. Like you don't want to become. You know, you don't want to plateau as a team. You want to continue to get better. And there are there are coaches there that put you in the ability to do so, like Reed, obviously, obviously with his efficiency at Philadelphia, I and mean, obviously taking that same type of mentality to Kansas City. Sean Payton, the, you know, the great career he's had down there at New Orleans. Um, I feel like we have a lot of young other coaching staff right now. So those uh, – Bilicek, like, there's, there's some good veteran coaches in this league that, that put you in a good situation to win. So Talman is definitely one of them. I can understand your frustration, but – you got to look at the bigger picture of things.
0: Yeah. And I think he had, like, a questionable call to punt for it late in the game, too, when they were kind of – I think they were probably around the 40-yard line or so, too. So, kind of like Vrabel, like I talked about earlier. But, you know, sometimes coaches have to make tough decisions. Sometimes it's yeah. not the best decision, but you can't judge them based solely on one decision unless it wins or loses the game, really. So,
1: Yeah. Like when we fired McCarthy – I figured this season was a complete success. I didn't care about the winning record or nothing because I knew Green Bay only had hopes to be better in the following seasons because we had two two really poor seasons underneath uh, in those last two years under McCarthy. It's the exact same conversation like with Tomlin. Does Tomlin put you in a better situation to win next year? Or do you think there's someone out there that could fill that same role that Tomlin has been consistent with throughout the entire his entire career at Pittsburgh? Like, you have to pay attention to the full picture of things sometimes, and I agree with you. It can't just be one call for the re- to be the reason to end up replacing somebody.
0: Yep. You know, there's a lot of coaches that have had success over the years, success in the regular season, and been bounced mm-hmm. out of the playoffs early on. You know, we've seen, you know, Marvin Lewis mm-hmm. is one that comes to mind. Obviously, Talman's had more success in the postseason than him. Even if you look at Jim Harbaugh, you know, they won the Super Bowl the one year, but. Most of the years in the playoffs, he hasn't done that much either, and you don't want to see the Ravens fans talking about getting rid of him. It's just sometimes people kind of overreact to things, knee-jerk, and, you know, everybody wants their quarterback to be the best quarterback in the league. They want their offensive coordinator to be the best in the league. They want their head coach to be the best in the league. They want to win the Super Bowl every year. Sometimes you have to have realistic expectations.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with you 100%. You don't want to be put in a situation, though, like, like the Cowboys, you know, when they had Jason Garrett there and led them to several post seasons, obviously wasn't very successful. And then you take the next step, and then you know, you're you're an ACL blowout from Dak Prescott from essentially punting the rest of the season. Like, you've gotta consider those opportunities on the other side of the flip of the coin. I guess. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you.
0: Or like, I think put-
1: that we all want to have the best teams in the NFL every season, but sometimes it's just not as realistic.
0: You can even look at the Eagles and be like, oh well, they never won the big game for Andy Re- with Andy Reid. So they got rid of Andy Reid. They bring in Chip Kelly. How'd that turn out? Like, yeah. is that what you want Pittsburgh?
1: Exactly. Like, trust the process of your team. Like, like for example, with Green Bay, I was not a big fan of the love pick. However, I'm like, okay, well, let's see what, how this plays out. Do you know what I mean? Like, I trust my team. Even when the transition from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, I stuck with Green Bay. A lot of fans went over to Minnesota. Like, stick with your team, man. Like, sometimes you don't need to understand what's happening as long as it's successful in the end.
0: Yeah, hey, I don't trust the Texans, but that's a whole other story.
1: <laughs> well, in their historic, illustrious career, in the existence of the NFL, essentially the Texans have always left you smiling and unsatisfied. Like, I can get your frustration, and, and if what's going on with the rumors right now ends up happening, like, I feel bad, man. I get you. I, I obviously hope that they keep Watson and Watt down there myself, but... We'll see what happens.
0: I swear to God, though, if Watson gets traded for two and I got to watch two start for the Texans, I just quit. Like, you don't want to give up on your team, but, like, if that's the situation, like...
1: Like, there's threats that you say to people in a normal day, like, you know what, I hope you go home and step on the Lego. Like, that's... that's The two a trade is something that you say to, like, a Texans fan to just kind of, like... It's like adding salt to a wound. Like, why would you ever wish that upon anybody?
0: I don't know some of you people listening to this... Podcast might like Tua and they might think he's going to be a decent quarterback. I do not see it. And if you put him behind that Texans offensive line with all his injury issues, he's going to get destroyed. Like he's not going to make it out of the game. Like we
1: want, we don't want any Dolphins fan listening to think that we're dogging on him, but like what has Tua actually done for you compared to Fitzpatrick this year? What has done for you this year? Like You got to put the comparison there. And Tua actually had a okay offensive line at Miami. There is no pretty much offensive line with Houston. So, I mean, Watson was running for his life and was putting up numbers behind that Dolphins uh, offensive line. I can see it definitely being beneficial, but obviously, like being a Watson fan, I like I like that Houston fan base down there. They're very loyal. I mean, obviously, you see how Watts kind of helped in that community down there over the last few years. Like he is that community, and that Houston uh, fan base, they they really embrace that team and Watson and Watt have both become kind of the face of that franchise. Uh, To a point where they were even, you know, in serious talks about helping determine the outcome of coach hiring. So, I mean, to trade them away is unfortunate. Something would be a really hard pill to swallow down there in Houston, but you got to look at the longevity and potential of what your franchise could become. But you don't also want to end up like the Detroit Lions, you know, and have an overhaul with Patricia and then look how that got them there. You know what I mean? But you also don't want to be Detroit and waste another Matthew Stafford season like essentially what you would be doing with Watson if you didn't trade him. It's so kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. This is obviously all a mess that was uh, handed to this franchise and this fan base by Bill O'Brien. Just another failed person off that Bill Belichick uh, coaching tree.
0: Yeah, just a lot of mismanagement overall. And, I mean, it's not like yeah. – Watson's not like, I want to be gone for – like it's, that was never his intent Like originally, mm-hmm. obviously, because you know, the dude just opened a restaurant in Houston. Like, his own restaurant. Like, you don't do that if you're planning on leaving.
1: Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Sometimes, like, like in Green Bay, for example, I obviously hate obviously knowing the comparisons, but that's, like, the fan base I know thoroughly enough to make a good quality of comparison. But it's like when LaFleur came in, you know, we had to determine whether we wanted to stay with McCarthy moving forward as a coaching staff or get, Aaron Rod- get rid of Aaron Rodgers because it just wasn't working anymore. That dynamic wasn't working anymore. So you... Green Bay obviously listened to Aaron Rodgers, said, you know what? you got three to five years that you could potentially be to the to the end of your career. We're going to ride this out as much as we can. What do you want? And they obviously went out and hired the floor. Um, I think Aaron Rodgers is involved in three of the actual interview process on that. So, I mean, if you lean on those players, they're obviously going to want to play for a coach. If they get to choose the coach, they're going to be more susceptible to playing for him. I hope the front office obviously learns from the mistakes of Bill O'Brien and can kind of lean on those premier players down there to, that have become that city and and, and change this team in the way that they would like to see it go.
0: And I mean, there's a whole bag of words you can get into with that. Just like they said, they were going to get Watson and Watt involved in the process, you know, or at least keep them kind of updated on what's going on with the GM and the head coach process. Then they kind of hired Nick Casario and didn't even talk to Watson, but he, he has been on vacation in like some country for like two weeks too so like you're not the most available person in the world either at the same time and supposedly they hired some firm that told mcnair that they should hire uh, lewis riddick from espn or the vp of something from the steelers Khan was his name and he just kind of totally disregarded it and hired casario anyways i'm not like too upset about it it's just kind of the process about it i know watson wanted the because he kind of talks to patrick mahomes and whatnot and he and bnma would be a good fit but there's been some rumors out there that bnma does not want the texans job anyways but it's just the whole process of the texans didn't even request an interview from him because they could have requested he could just said no that's what happened with matt Eberflus, the colts defensive coordinator the texans reached out to him and he just said no so but it's yeah. just the process that they didn't even try. Whether or not you think Eric Bieniemy is going to be a good head coach, I'll leave that up to you. I think he's going to end up on the Chargers either way. I don't think it would have made a difference if they did interview him.
1: Yeah, and I look forward to going in through all the teams this offseason and kind of seeing all the changes that they need to make and potential players to go to. So Houston's definitely a team that we're going to focus on. There's a few other teams as well, like Atlanta, um, obviously Detroit. Like those teams that have good good players that they can kind of solidify a decent offense just had the inability at the head coaching position to put them in a chance to succeed.
0: Yes, sir. Kind of already talked about the game a week just a little bit. For me it was that Washington-Tampa Bay game. You know, that one was the most back-and-forth game we've seen all week. So not too much else to say there. What do you got? Honestly, I'm going to pick two just because you kind of
1: picked one already. The Browns and Steelers game was kind of fantastic for me, obviously throughout the year. I'm not a big fan of teams that try to coast, and I felt like in the third quarter, the Cleveland Browns tried to dip, kind of did that. Um, it just it kind of became an interesting game trying to watch the Steelers try to pull out of that terrible first half that they had with all the turnovers and just see the inconsistencies they were having, even though that they were still making a comeback. But you're right, hands down, for me it was that Washington-Bucks game. Name one Sunday night this entire NFL season, you were practically standing on your couch like, yelling in excitement for a I hate to say a no-name quarterback but essentially a a lot of uh, average NFL people obviously don't know who Heineke is but even just with that situation just watching the heart of this team all season long like it was just a fantastic game for all players too like the defense they didn't play as well like we discussed but you know it was a game it was like a really close game that shouldn't have been as close as it was so for me it has to be that Washington Tampa Bay game
0: yes for sure definitely some good ones there should definitely be some good ones once again next week we will be doing the preview for the divisional round we will be recording it on thursday and then that one will probably either be out late on thursday or early friday morning Uh, but once again thank you guys for joining us thank you for uh listening to us uh throughout the season so far we'll definitely have more for the playoff games and we really do appreciate each and every one of you
1: Yeah, guys, stay safe out there, spend time with your families, stay warm, appreciate you.